Warm greetings, joymongers. Welcome to this week's episode of Joyfully You Life with Dr. Petrina Clark. Today, I'm speaking with Ladine King, founder of LCK Coaching and Consulting, LLC. She's a recognized expert in promoting racial equity through systemic organizational transformation. And I know that's a mouthful, but I promise we're going to get into it. Ladine graduated from Duke University with a BS in geology and a minor in mathematics. She earned her MA in educational leadership from St. Peter's University of the Jesuits. She is also a graduate of the Barbara Brennan School of Healing and studied with Ayan Levantin in her spiritual life coaching program. Ladine and I were recently introduced by a mutual sister friend who felt it would be good for us to connect. That friend's instincts about the connection were spot on, and I am truly grateful for and excited about this new kinship. Ladine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Petrina. It is my pleasure to be here, and I'm so grateful that our sister friend Susan's connected us. Glad to be here. Yes, yes. So, Jesse Williams, the incredibly gifted and incredibly gorgeous star of Grey's Anatomy, gave a speech at the 2016 BET Awards when he accepted the Humanitarian Award. During his speech, Williams called out institutional racism, police brutality against people of color, and cultural appropriation. He elevated the leaders and activists in the civil rights movement, including educators and the parents of black and brown babies who experience different worries for and have much different conversations with their children than do white parents. He celebrated Black excellence and Black culture, but it was his closing statement, just because we're magic doesn't mean we're not real, that remains etched in the hearts and minds of those who heard the speech. In co-creating the foundation for today's conversation, Ladine and I settled on the theme, Black girl magic, just because we're magic doesn't mean we're not real. We've meditated on it and leaned into divine inspiration for how we would show up and share today. And Ladine, I am so eager to hear what came up for you. Same here. Same here. I'm looking forward to this conversation and seeing what came through. It's interesting because as, you know, I was preparing myself inwardly today, you know, for our conversation, because it's important to me to be aligned, you know, with my higher self and the guidance so I can speak, but really be spoken through, you know? Absolutely. And so... I looked at the video link you sent again. And when, when I got to the very end and he said, just because we're magic doesn't mean we're not real. I felt some tears coming. And that didn't happen with the first viewing, but it happened with the second one. And so why do I share that? Because there's so much here that is even beyond one, my awareness, my conscious awareness, and two, beyond what I can articulate. Yes. And I just want to honor that and knowing that we're going to be articulating a lot. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> and still, you know, there is this space of the heart, of emotions, of meaning, of ancestry, of all that he was holding and speaking to and what was coming through him. That is like beyond what I'm even aware I was taking in. Right. Right. <laughs> but I guess what I'm consciously aware of is when I thought about magic. I really do think about that which is African, you know, the first people. And I certainly think about women. And I think about all women, but especially Black women. Yes. Okay, because there is something about womanness, about the feminine, 
Okay. And as we were speaking earlier, you know, that whole, there's an aspect of the masculine and the feminine in all, regardless of your quote unquote gender identity. Right. right? Right. And so that which is woman and certainly black woman for me is magic. Right. And so it is that inherent connection to our divinity, to this spark, that place that knows. Okay. And for me, that is magic and that is woman. And then based on the work that I do, you know, really looking at white racial dominance, white as a color, a culture, and a consciousness in the United States of America and how that plays out. Well, wham, you know, here you have this magic, you know, that black women and all people, but black women embody. All right. I think we embody it more naturally and fully and powerfully because we are just. That's who we are. And then you kind of get slammed with the socialization. Then you meet, wrestle, dance, identify with ego, mm. with white, yeah. with male, with straight, with white Jesus. Okay. And itself, the big I and the big S. Okay. So it doesn't recognize itself, those things, white, male, straight, white Jesus. So I can't understand and recognize it in me or in you, Dr. Petrina, right? Yes, I love that point. And that reminds me of, I mentioned to you that I've read your, your narrative, What Am I? And it's very moving in a lot of ways. There's a particular line, and I'm probably going to paraphrase it incorrectly. So please correct me. But the idea is, I am trying to understand maybe not even understand, judge your experience through my experience, not having any idea about your experience. I just thought that was so profoundly written. And I love that you said that. And that happens to us so much. And I love this connection that you're making with the magic of Black women somehow being forced into a container so that it can be better dealt with, better understood, better embraced, so that it's not so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times are we told you're just too much sometimes? Mm-hmm. You're too loud. You're too passionate. You're too, it's a lot of too everything, right? Yes. And this is almost this social shrinking. You know, I'm I'm not using necessarily scientific terms for this, but, you know, we, we make ourselves smaller so as not to outshine, so as not to outdo, so as not to outperform. When we're carrying that, I think, as a, how do I not be too much in a particular situation, yet at the same time, carry seemingly the weight of the world on my shoulders, you know, birthing these Black babies who are coming into this existence already at a disadvantage just because of the color of their skin and the social constructs around what all that means. Absolutely. Absolutely. I also had a tearful reaction to the speech and it hung on the real part. And you and I were talking about this a little bit before we started our our taping. This, what does it mean to be real Mm -hmm. as a Black woman and how exhausting? Is it Mm -hmm. when somehow the real that we're endeavoring to be is not necessarily aligned and consistent with the real that we're divinely created to be? Absolutely. And that, I think, in my opinion, is our journey as women and as Black women, 
in the context of this ego, okay, that expresses itself um, in attempts to destroy, diminish who I am because it does not know itself. Mm-hmm. It does not know its divinity and its magic, right? And so then, as you were speaking, I begin to internalize that. And a shifting in my beingness occurs. Mm-hmm. And I start to speak words and act from a place of, I'm not smart. I need to lose weight. I need my hair straight. I need a man. I need, right? And, right, all of that and more. Right? And so for me, this is what disconnection from my magic sounds like. Yes. Okay. Disconnection from my magic. And that is not coming from a place of blame ever. No. Ever. It's coming from a place of recognition and hopefully self awareness because I'm thinking about myself, you know, as this racially ambiguous Black woman. When I work with large groups, okay, if there's a sister who is having some issues with me and me being quote unquote the lighter sister, all right. And if that trigger and energy is in the room, the defenses and my ability to work with, okay, and facilitate a constructive dialogue becomes very difficult because the defenses are on steroids. And yeah. I say that because I recognize it outside of myself and I recognize it within myself, right? And so I'm operating with all these defenses because I'm trying to navigate this huge chasm between my authentic magic. And like trying to be quote unquote real. How many times have we as black women be like, well, I'm gonna just keep it real. And then we, we give somebody a smackdown. Like I'm gonna raise my hand because I've done that. I'm gonna just keep it real with you. And <laughs> I have to get to a point where I take responsibility for what does it mean to be real? Can I be real and be loving? And what does love look like? Because it doesn't have to be wimpy. It doesn't have to be sappy. It can be fierce. It can be firm. It can be fiery, but it's coming from my heart space and I can be real in that way. But one thing I also wanted to say, Dr. Petrina, that was coming up to me is, girl, I can't be real. You know, we can't be real. And why am I saying that? (laughs) Right? Because when I was meditating on what we're going to talk about today, I was like, I don't want to blow up the plane. Right? I mean, all that passion, all that too muchness, all that light, all that black girl magic that people can't manage and then begin to police my face and my body. Okay. So I learn I can't blow up the plane because I really don't want to cut myself off from resources, right? From life because I simply, and now I'm going into a male example, because I simply told her to curb her dog. Okay. Or I question these law enforcement officers. Why am I being stopped? And how I show up in my power in Black girl magic, right? In ownership of self, I end up hung in a jail cell, okay? I can't be real. There are these very real ancestral and daily navigations that if I'm to survive, how real can I really be? And how do I even define real? Right. I like that Jesse even made that speech in, I mean, that point in his speech. Remember when he was talking about, you know, yeah, she was free, but she was too free. There you go. There you go. Exactly. Your point about real, but too real. You know, you can't be too real because I was thinking, even if we don't take it to 
what some might consider like the extreme of survival. You could be cut off from love, you know, cut off from social groups, cut off from connection. And that is, that can be as devastating as any physical attack on the body. Absolutely. Psychological and emotional attacks are just, you know, they can be a lot to deal with. Absolutely. One of the things that I was sharing with you, and I said I wanted to hold it until we were kind of rolling tape so that I could get your reaction to it is, you know, my sister, I don't know that you would necessarily think of her as racially ambiguous. And I do want you to talk a little bit more about what that means Mm -hmm. for people who are hearing this for the first time. But my sister is very fair skinned and, you know, has quote unquote good hair and would oftentimes, particularly in Texas, have Hispanic people, Spanish-speaking people come up and start talking to her in Spanish. So I feel like I was very fortunate. And so some of what you must know by now that like your article had a profound impact on me. It just resonated in so many ways. And my sister got some of the treatment that you got, you know, people talking about her behind her back. She's conceited. She's stuck up. Not even having exchanged one word of conversation with her. And I can remember a couple of times in high school where I would be overhearing something like that, people not knowing she was my sister. And I was like, you have no idea what you're talking about. She is one of the most down-to-earth, giving, loving human beings on the planet. And how dare Mm -hmm. you judge her Mm -hmm. because of, you know, how she looks, because of appearance. So that was one part of it. The other part of it was I, I feel so lucky to have had the mom that we have because my mom was really, I don't know if she, it was intentional or if it was just inherent in her nature, but for my mom, all shades of black are beautiful. And there was never any indication of colorism. You know, my mom was just like, you're both beautiful, my beautiful daughters. And there wasn't even this idea that there was any real difference between us. And so I feel so lucky because I didn't have to deal with a lot of that colorism stuff until I got older and I was more brown when I was younger. I don't know what this thing is. As you get older, you kind of lighten up a little bit, but you know, I was more brown. And so I became more aware of those issues as I was older. And we talk a lot, I think, about how we are sometimes constrained by others. But I think within our own community, sometimes we are dealt the harshest blows and we are dealt with in the most cruel ways. And Mm -hmm. I I know Mm -hmm. that that's, there's even a reason for that. I've done a little bit of reading on this idea of post-traumatic slave syndrome. And so I'm kind of familiar with this embedded trauma and how we play those traumas out generation after generation. At the same time, you know, I would like us to be moving in a space that supports us in healing some of those wounds so that we are able to be real, certainly at least with one another. Yes, absolutely. Well, theses are written on such things, Dr. Katrina. (laughs) So let's see how far we can go with this in the time that we have today, time and space we have. Absolutely. So firstly, you were asking, you know, for people who are not familiar with the term racially ambiguous, I actually wasn't familiar with it either. Right. (laughs) You know, the quote unquote academics, when I was, have been in this race work world, helped me understand that's what I am. And that makes sense to me because when you look at me, you don't know what my race is. So there is this ambiguity 
around my race. So like when you were talking about your sister, she's light-skinned, okay? You know, Latinos, Chicanos, Mexicanos would come up to her and speak in Spanish. Well, I would get that too. I lived in Phoenix for eight years. People thought I was Latina, you know? And even when I would lived in Phoenix, I learned that Latina is different than Hispanic, okay? And Mexicana and Mexican-American and Chicano, you know right. what I'm saying? So right. there's this speaking of what I don't know right. until it is my experience. And what you talked about at the top of our conversation was when you were reading in my piece, what are you? When people would ask me that. And very often people construct meaning of me based on what they know, which has nothing to do with me. Right. And that's what those who are racially ambiguous, I think, experience all the time. Because my race changes based on geography. Right. So when I was in Phoenix, I was a Chicana por la cosa. Si se puede, right? Learned all about Cesar Chavez and all of that. Didn't know any of that before. And when I'm in Hawaii, my mother's home state, I'm Kama Aina. I'm a local person. I'm Hapa. There are a lot of people in Hawaii who look like this. Mm -hmm. Then when I was dating a guy in Harlem, I was Boricua, you know, or Dominican. Right. So for me, I get that who I am very often is constructed based on what people think I am. And I have to be able to navigate that while also holding on to who I am. So that is a connection to what I'm making in our conversation earlier about when, as Black women, when we are met with white superiority, white normalcy, and for women, beauty is so much more, quote unquote, important or made important than it is for men, right? Mm -hmm. So there, there's, there's a whole different depth and breadth of what is wrapped up in beauty and it being a Eurocentric, thin, blue-eyed, you know what I'm, Becky standard, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about racial ambiguity, it's that kind of people don't know what I am. Now, getting to Jesse. Right. I'm glad you brought this up because some of us, some of our sisters and brethren were coming for him. Yeah. Because he's light skinned. Yeah. And all right. So I was sitting there watching that video. The first thing that landed in me was, oh, that's familiar. It was when he was saying he started out with peace, peace. OK. And the gestures, the exertion of blackness. Mm -hmm. Right. That's so familiar to me being a racially ambiguous Black woman because people don't know I'm Black. So I have to assert that I'm Black. So I'll over-Black it. You know what I'm saying? Like, really? And so I thought to myself, oh, that's so familiar. Now, I don't know if that's what Brother Jesse is doing, but I know I recognize in myself. And I didn't realize that until college. And one of my sister friends, she was from New Orleans. And we were talking one day and she goes, oh my gosh, that's why you talk like that. And I was like, talk like what? Because <laughs> she was very much in white speech, right? I'm like, talk like what? She's like, black talk. And I was looking at her like, what are you talking about? But it was like an awakening. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I do think I speak that way. Then we talk about code switching because people don't look at me and know I'm black. And so because black African-American is, is my racial cultural community, even though my mother was Chinese American, okay, and I don't look like I'm Black to most people, I got to like somehow let them know. 
So I'm thinking Jesse, I am sure, dealt with getting the business from our own people, right? Now, another two spokes and stopped me at any time of this wheel, I saw his mama. So Mm -hmm. he was introducing his parents. Clearly, he got a white mama, right? right? And a black daddy. Now, that's a whole nother conversation, Right. right? That I will not dive into right now, okay? And when I looked at their faces, when the camera panned to his parents, as he was deep in his remarks, his black daddy was beaming. Yep. Right? He was so proud. And what I saw on his white mother's face was, oh my God. Honestly, it was like, almost like fear maybe. Like, is my son really saying these things? Like, is he going to be okay? And I thought, isn't that striking that I'm looking at his parents, a white mother and a black father, and this is what I am seeing and witnessing and how they're taking in what this black man is saying that is so absolutely powerful and true. And then the other spoke of the wheel I wanted to talk about was when you talked about there's a reason for how we destroy each other within the Black community. And so for me, I am mindful in my personal and in my professional realm, never to quote unquote blame the victim to understand the context of the behavior. Even when I was teaching eighth grade and my kids would be acting like boo-boo, okay? Like being able to see, I know you are brilliant. I know, period. Because I know the truth of who you are, the big T. Now, you're not necessarily expressing that right now, but I'm gonna need you to get there, okay? I need you to get back to the truth of who you are. And so I feel like for us, we were taught, we were taught intentionally. This was done to quell slave rebellions, the house Negro and the field Negro. All right. And this was the the psychology of oppression and the oppressor that a divided house cannot stand. So what we're going to do to quell these slave rebellions is we're going to split y'all up. Okay. So Martha's offspring going to be in the house and get favor. So they going to tell when y'all, even though you're aunties, uncles, mothers in the field are trying to do something, right? Because the alliance is more so with Massa. And this looks different, um, has different iterations throughout history and even today. But when you talk about white, the construction of white as a color culture consciousness, all right, that did not always exist. Right. That was constructed for a particular purpose, which was to maintain power. So the antithesis of white is black. And over time, all these other categories have been constructed in the United States census. Why does that happen? Why do we have Asians? Why do we have Latinos now? And by the way, Latinos are having to determine if they're white and Latino or if they're non-white. All of that is the same expression, the same expression of that original psychology of divide and conquer. Okay. And so, as a person of color, as a Black woman, as people who are Asian, people who identify as Latinx, Indigenous, have to understand, even biracial, multiracial mixed, have to understand that this racial identity that you are being allowed to have is actually being used to uphold white power. And if you don't understand that, then you're going to show up engaging in Black on Black crime, for example. We're, we're coming for Jesse. 
the lighter skinned brother, or they're coming for your sister, the lighter skinned sister, because they do not know that in doing that, they are perpetuating their miseducation. Carter G. Woodson, the miseducation of the Negro, right? So we have to recognize that and get back to the magic of who we really are so that we're not operating from a place of distorted consciousness, which is not the truth. Right. Not even close to the truth. Mm -mm. So when you talk about operating in consciousness and being a mirror of the divine and being a vessel of peace and possibility, how best can we do that as Black women, Nadine? Wow. How much time do we have? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Wow. Well, I would say for me, it is an ongoing journey. Yeah. Okay. It's like getting unplugged from the matrix. I love that movie. Oh my God. Say that again. I get (laughs) my family. They don't get it. They hate it. I'm like, it's a documentary. Mm -hmm. You have to understand this is like real. Yes. You are programmed. Yes. We're being programmed. And if we don't periodically unplug, nothing wrong with a little programming. I think escapism can be a beautiful thing mm-hmm. because the real can sometimes just be overwhelming. Yes. It can be overwhelming. Yes. So there's no criticism of taking a break, having an escape. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I think it's really important to, I love your choice of words. You know, it's a journey. We should endeavor to evolve. And I love the way, I love Neo as this perfect example of evolution. He starts out like so many of us, not believing in our divine perfection Mm -hmm. and all the wondrous capabilities we have. Let's just call it magic. Yes. How magical we actually are. Mm -hmm. And just through baby steps and encouragement of the right people along the way, along his journey, a love connection, that believed in his magic more than he believed. I mean, it's just so many parallels with life. Mm -hmm. But I think that because it's kind of done in this science, fiction, science, you know, sci-fi kind of way, people miss it. But I'm like, can't you see this? You have this man who is so out of touch with who he really is. Yes. And he's bought into the Mm -hmm. idea of who he is in terms of how society sees him. Mm-hmm. But by virtue of others believing in him, expressing yes. that belief mm-hmm. and showering him with support and love and affirmation of this, he moves into that space gradually. It's not like this grand epiphany all of a sudden, even at the climatic scene where he still doesn't, he's still like, no, 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 I'm not the one. And everyone else can clearly see it. He can't yet. He's just operating on faith that I don't. I just feel like I can do this. And sometimes we get buoyed by one another in that way. And so for me, when I think about the best way for us to maintain our consciousness and operate from this place of awareness and the feminine, Mm -hmm. for me, it's this, it comes from our community. I am at my best when I am feeling loved and embraced and supported and encouraged especially by my sister friends, by Black women who look like me, who move like me, who know what it feels like to be me. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you can't know that unless you've been that. Mm -hmm. 
And mm-hmm. so I really feel like that our greatest magic comes when we see each other and we, mm-hmm. we convey that in a look, in an energetic exchange that says, I see you, sis. Yes. I love you, sis. Yes. Keep going. You got this. For me, that's what allows me to be magical. To the extent that I'm magical, it's being a part of this amazing, amazing community. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's so interesting about that to me is what's coming to me is what feeds you is that community, you know, in that community of sister friends, you know, and those who can reflect for you and you know, they get it. There's certain things we don't have to explain here. Okay. Um, And for me, and not that it's distinct, I'm just saying from my own experience, I am, have become increasingly introverted in mm-hmm. this portion of my life. No one guesses that, okay? But I feel that I am, okay? Because I kind of get my juice from within. Yeah. And so for me, I feel like when I am most like myself and in my magic, I feel like it's when I'm aligned with my divinity. Absolutely. You know, when I know, oh, wow, this is flowing through me. You know yeah. how you have those experiences where you are so good at something and I'm just so clear that was not me. Like it was me. It was coming through me. Exactly. That it was just a vessel, right? Right? It's, yes. it's amazing. Like it's right. so good. And I feel like that is magic, you know? And that is when I am on purpose and I'm on call. And when speaking of women and feminine, right? And black women, it is that space of being where I have space. Yes. I have space to be. And I don't necessarily have to do or force or be willful. It's more flow. And I can trust myself and my inner guidance and not always have to go to my intellect and give the data, 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 or the research, research, research. You know, I just know in my beingness, in my gut, that that didn't feel right. Yeah. And this is something that I need to explore or deal with, or that felt exquisite. And I can't quite articulate it in words, but it moved me. I feel like that's what comes up for me as I'm hearing you talk about, you know, magic and, and, and how you experience that within yourself and then how I experience it within myself. Yeah. And I will say, I, amen, hallelujah, choir on everything you said. I am, I'm doing work right now with the Chopra Center. And so I'm all about that attention, intentional attention, paying attention on purpose, you know, with intention and this idea of quieting yourself so that you can really hear yourself. Mm -hmm. This idea of our having three brains, I'm looking forward to, I'm working on a podcast episode that talks about our three brains and how we can best integrate them so that we have this really beautiful, holistic GPS navigational system for our lives, Mm -hmm. all Mm -hmm. of that. And I Mm -hmm. too have gotten much more introverted as I've gotten older. And I think that's more my natural set point. I'm probably, you know, when I take these personality tests, I'm like, right, almost dead center, Either way. So I can be energized in community and I can be energized by myself. So mm-hmm. I like that. I like that mix. I feel like for me, because I am very confident in my ability to be self-reliant and resilient mm-hmm. and produce results and be a vessel, like just yeah. 
let just flow. Mm-hmm. It's those times when I'm feeling tired. And I will tell you, this last year has really tried a lot of us. Yes. And I was already, in terms of the violence that we're seeing perpetuated against Black people in particular, but we certainly have our Asian brothers and sisters right now because of Mm -hmm. COVID prejudices and things like that, you know. So just this idea, though, of all the things that we're grappling with, when I'm feeling fatigued and tired, it's that the ability to plug into another resource, mm-hmm. which, you know, outside of myself, I know there's really no such thing. You know, sometimes I like a little woo-woo, a little science <laughs> with my woo-woo. I, I say right. that, right? Like, yes. like, I gotta have a little science with the woo-woo. Yep. So when we're talking about this construct of reality, the idea that within this construct that I have enough synergy with someone like you, that I can reach out to you and just get a little bit of a little boost, you know, because energetically I'm feeling low, that's just just like everything to me. And Mm -hmm. like you said, to not have to have a lot of explaining, to just be able to share like just the basic elements of some of of an experience and somebody gets it. Yes. Yes. I get you. I know exactly what you're talking about. I know exactly. That takes some of the pressure off in terms of this black girl magic syndrome. Because I do think that as Black women, we do a lot. We're capable of so much. Yes, yes. And we just crush everything that we set our minds to crushing. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you know, there is a energetic price for being magical in that way. And I think that's how we sort of started our conversation. And, and at what price, mm-hmm. you know, do you continue to display this magic? Because it's not without, you know, there's... Energy attracts energy. And so sometimes we attract awe. Sometimes we attract envy. And so depending on who's filtering what they're seeing, the reaction to what we're giving out can be so different. Yes. So I love this idea of a facilitated conversation around building community. Mm -hmm. Like, Creating a safe space. I love what you had to say about, you know, not blaming the victim. Like, let's not blame the victim here. Let's acknowledge those traumas and then create a safe space for healing. Yep. And when you talked about, you know, how do we heal and feeling and being fatigued and rightfully so. I mean, it's fatiguing for God's sake. Okay. And what you just said about acknowledgement, I think that is so important. And it is underutilized and maybe people, including myself, don't recognize how important acknowledgement is. So when you talked about, I see you, sis, you know, and speaking life to people, like I'm really big on that. Okay. Especially with everybody, but particularly black women, because I know what you said, that we have such broad shoulders. We are so capable and so competent. And frankly, I mean, I would love to be happily married. I love men folk, okay? And they be delegating stuff, all right? And so we carry a lot. And so it is tiring, you know, in our physical bodies, in our heart space, in our mental space, in our souls, in our spiritual space, Yeah. you know? And so what you said, I feel like, one, sometimes I just need to go lay down. Yeah, exactly. All right? I just need to go lay down. And when I go lay down, can the voices inside that say, oh, but you can't be laying down. You need to do this. You need to do that. To whom much is given, much is is required, required, right? 
So it's like all of those tapes that I, I'm like, oh, so that's that voice. Oh, that's that voice. So thank you very much, but I'm going to turn the volume down on that right now. And I'm going to really give my best effort to allow myself to lay down and just rest and just have space. And I tell you, when the company that I used to work for for almost 10 years, I mean, I was traveling almost every week all over the United States, teaching mostly white educators that they're white. Okay. Wow. And and what are the racial implications of their racial unconsciousness on, you know, academic achievement, behavior outcomes? So I was exhausted. It's exhausting. Yeah. Right. And so even though we all got laid off permanently, I felt like it was like, thank you, God, because I was exhausted. I just needed to rest, but I didn't know how to lay myself down, how to say, sweetheart, you need to take a time out. Yeah. Okay. And when you talk about that shot of energy from like-hearted, like-minded, like souls, I do find that is so important. And I think that's why, in part, I have become increasingly introverted beyond my work, having right. been holding an energetic container for like a oh, yeah. hundred people, you know what I mean, at a time and helping them shift and expand in their consciousness. I feel like sometimes I just need to be held. Yeah. So being very mindful and careful about who I'm spending time with because I don't want to be injured again. Right. You know, I don't want to deplete it. Right. Just deplete it. Yes. And deplete it. Like you said, have to explain stuff. Like I don't want to have to explain that. Like I teach that every day. Can I not have to come home and explain it? You know? Yeah. So I felt like what I was getting from what you were saying with that shot of energy is something I look for is communion. Yes. Like I'm looking for a communion where I'm able to just rest. Yes. And be, we can be in each other's company. Yes. And that is edifying and it is enough. And what I will say is this healing journey because of society, because of the socialization, because of racism and patriarchy and all the other things, you know, we got work to do. Right. So sometimes I have not always been, I, well, I not really haven't been, a healing container, right? I mean, that took a minute. Right. Okay, right. for me to even recognize that I was abusive with my words, okay? That I was emotionally abusive when I would just leave. You know, mm-hmm. it's like Missy Yonla helping me understand, like, When you just leave a relationship and you have no conversation about what happened, when you're coming back, that's emotional violence. I didn't know that, right? And so- Like, I'm done. I mean, what? Exactly. Well, I'm just leaving. I'm done. Bye. Like, what do you mean? That's violent and abusive. Like, really? Oh, okay. Thank you for letting me know. And so I feel like I've had my own journey of healing so that I could open my heart. and that is that kind of unplugging from the matrix. That is that what you said, what came up for me too was, because I love Star Wars. I love Star Wars too. Okay. And that whole Darth Vader thing. What? Right? Right? And how he became Darth Vader, you know, and in the end, what really opened him up was you talked about love and people believing in you more than you believe in yourself. Yep. 
Okay. So it's like all of that wrapping together. But I feel like, so this is a return to the truth of who I am. And that is a conscious, ongoing process that I invest in and engage in. Because if I don't, I can really show up in some crazy and not be a healing space for people. Right. Right. So that's why I feel like the inward journey is most important so that I can then hold myself in love, know when I need to lay down, give me permission and give me permission to rest, give me permission to mess up. Yeah. Right. Not self-flagellate because I grew up Catholic, so I'm real good at self-flagellation and guilt, you know? So being able to do that so I can extend the grace to myself so that when someone else shows up crazy, I don't actually go from zero to 60, okay? But I can do my stay with myself a little bit longer to see what's triggered here. What's the pain here that really has nothing to do with that other person and everything to do with me? And so when I address their behavior, it's not a smackdown. It's more of a grounded, heartful, firm, this is what this is, and this is a boundary that I am establishing here. So I think all of that was coming up for me as you were talking about, you know, healing, being a vessel, you know, the fatigue. I honestly think sometimes as Black women, we don't have permission to rest. How many of my sister friends who are married, you know, partnered, they feel selfish. Well, I don't mean to be selfish. Squeeze me, time out. You are not being selfish. They don't even have to be married or partnered for that. I mean, I just think that we are so accustomed to nurturing and feeding others Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that any sort of time for ourselves... I think we're getting a lot better in that space, though, I have to say. You know, I know Mm -hmm. some of us still struggle with it, but I think that one of the beautiful things about community is that kind of sort of, sis, go lay down, get your rest. Sis, (laughs) come on, we're going to get our nails done. We're going to go get a massage. We're going to, you know, so this idea of self care for us, I love the way it's evolving. Mm -hmm. And I love that it's evolving in a way that even extends beyond those kinds of things to the kinds of activities that you're talking about. You know, when I first started going to Deepak Chopra events, you know, it'd be a crowd of about a thousand people. I could look around the room and I could count the number of black people on one hand in the audience. It's just like, we're not doing that. Mm -hmm. But now I I actually see more of us and they're starting to be like a recognized community. It's like, oh, hey, sis, I see you, right? (laughs) And I love that, right? We don't have to have long drawn out conversations. It's just a knowing exchange from across the room. And you don't always get it just because the person's skin is brown. But when you do get it, it's nice. It's just a nice affirming, I see you. And I think one of the greatest things in terms of this human experience that we're having is to really just be seen. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that is just the thing that you need. I was listening to just a snippet of um, Tamika Mallory's interview on Red Table Talk, mm-hmm. where she talked about this idea of not really being seen, not feeling yes. as though she were being seen. Yes, And I think for so many Black women, we have been means to ends for so mm-hmm. long Yes, that sometimes even when that's not the case, we psychologically perpetuate it mm-hmm. and kind of create circumstances in our reality that give back to us what we expect to see. Yes, And mm-hmm. so I love this idea of consciousness raising mm-hmm. so that we are really being fully present 
for our lives Mm -hmm. and actually being very intentional about the choices that we're making Mm -hmm. so that our outer reality really does reflect the incredible magical inside. Yes, absolutely. Because how, how do I stay connected to my magic when I'm exhausted? You can't. Mm-hmm. It's virtually impossible. It's like you said, you know, if, and I, I used to do that, talk about this when I would facil- do team coaching, facilitation. And this idea, you know, if you wake up one morning and you've not rested well and you're hungry, the coffee machine broke, so you don't even get your little caffeine jolt, you get on the road, you're much more susceptible to a trigger. Mm -hmm. a road rage kind of situation. Whereas if you wake up refreshed and you had such a wonderful night of sleep, you almost don't even want the coffee. You feel so fabulous, right? You're just good morning, everybody. You hear the (laughs) birds chirping and the, you know, rest makes such a difference. And I love Mm -hmm. that you identified rest as so important Mm -hmm. to our optimal functioning. Mm -hmm. We have to rest. Yes, yes. And you know what that makes me think of, Dr. Petrina, is... I was talking about resting, and this was kind of in a small group conversation that some workshop I was in. And they were helping me consider what is rest? Because I was thinking, you know, I sleep. I love sleeping and I love my bed. Okay. Like I love it. My family knows don't call Ladine before noon. Like just don't. Unless, of course, I'm working and I have to. And so what they were helping me see is, oh, so I can rest. While I am just looking outside my window at the sun hitting the leaves on the tree. Yes. The sleep and rest are different. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And like what really helps me rest? And I am still exploring that. Yeah. Like and the what answer, really helps me rest. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the answer can change. What mm-hmm. provides and promotes rest one day, that may di- be different another day. So just be open. And, yes. you know, there are a series of soul questions that the Chopra Center, every meditation begins with, you know, four soul questions that we, we ask. The first is, who am I? Mm-hmm. And that's intended to take us beyond these roles and characters that we consciously and subconsciously play. The second one, though, is the one that gets at this, you know, what do I need? Mm, The the mm -hmm. question is actually, what do I want? Mm -hmm. And if you just allow yourself space to have your soul answer that question for you, Mm -hmm. you'll get divine inspiration for what will support you with rest. Mm -hmm. I love that. The fourth soul question is, what am I grateful for? The -hmm. third one is, what's my purpose or how do I serve? So you go into a meditation asking those four soul questions. Who am I? What do I want? How do I serve? What am I grateful for? Mm-hmm. And we enter mm-hmm. the quiet space in gratitude because focusing on gratitude as the fourth question, we can move into that quiet meditative state with our heart filled with gratitude. And as you know, like energy promotes more of the same. And so you end up with experiences that foster and promote more gratitude. Yes. It's so interesting they bring that up. I love the four questions because what occurred to me is this is almost like a prayer and really like a sequence of what one does when one's manifesting. Yeah. Okay. When you want to manifest something. So who am I? Like aligning with that which is greater than me you know, greater than my ego and my personality. And as you said, the roles. And then what do I want? 
and really sitting in and allowing it to rise from within as opposed to looking without, but allowing the wisdom to rise from within. And then it is that frequency that is being radiated. Okay. And if that's the frequency I'm radiating, then that is the frequency that will likely be harmonically induced to come to me. Right. And then what's my purpose? How do I serve? Still, again, same energy. And what am I here to give my purpose? And the giving can even be an example of what it means to rest. Yes. You know, an example of what it means to take care of myself. Yes. Um, And I offer those only because we live in such a, I mean, white culture in the United States of America is very much about doing. It's very much about action. Okay. So when I give examples, I try to kind of go to the being spaciousness paradigm. And then the fourth question, what am I grateful for? So that's the appreciation. That is the thanksgiving. And I, you know, follow Michael Bernard Beckwith a lot. And even Missy Yanla ending the prayer with gratitude. Yes. Grateful Always for, end with gratitude. Because that's a frequency. Yes. It's a very high frequency as yes. is joy, you know? So speaking of your podcast and the title, right? You know, it's like it all has a frequency. So I was like, oh my gosh, I love those four questions because it's really in a way a prayer and a sequence of how do I manifest? How am I manifesting? Right? So I would say if I want joy, then I want to be able to sit in what actually brings me joy and actually sit in it, marinate in it. That's a wonderful segue. My next question for you. So what is bringing you joy these days, Lady? <laughs> well, it's interesting because we've been talking about it a lot. Rest. <laughs> Rest. I'm really, when we got laid off and it was abrupt, okay? Like who was prepared for a global pandemic, right? Right. Um, so within what, 48, 72 hours, we went from full time to no time, okay? Wow. And so it's like I couldn't even be upset because I know how God works in my life. And when mm-hmm. Ladine is dragging her feet, God helps the sister out. <laughs> and is like, so you're not exiting. So I'm going to exit you, you know? Yep. And I had, as I mentioned, been traveling extensively throughout the country. So I'm just glad to be in my house. Right. I was glad to be in my house because I had been traveling for almost 10 years. Right. And I was also grateful that some of the updates in my house because my mother passed a few years ago and I'm the sensitive youngest child. And so I wasn't ready to give up the house. So I basically purchased it from my siblings. And I was like, hey, I'll just move back home. I only need an airport to work. And I'm so grateful now that I've made that decision, you know, because I'm not like in this closet-sized apartment in D.C., but I have space. And even some of the updates that had been a nightmare were for the most part done so I had a fully functioning kitchen. So why am I saying this? Because I'm talking about gratitude. Like when we first got the news, I was like, okay, really? And I stayed there for about seven seconds. And then it was like, you know what? Look at all of the good that you're standing in right now. It's not that a global pandemic is good. Okay. It's not that a a pandemic of racial violence, okay, is good. Not at all. And in the midst of, and I think my mother's unexpected illness and then 
relatively quick transition from the physical reality, like helped me see in the wake of that, I felt like my life was a reality TV show for like a couple years, mm-hmm. you know? And then as I have gotten distance from it, Dr. Petrina, it's like I have a different understanding of what it means when people say God's grace is sufficient. Mm-hmm. So this is where in my work, it's one thing to know something in the mind. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to know, okay? And so when we talk about Black girl magic, that indigenous, that ancestral, that at my core knowing, that which life teaches me, okay? That is not just in the mind. It's like, I'm going to know that all things are working for good. And that is not me, as Marianne Williamson would say. You don't want to throw pink paint over people's pain. That is not to diminish the gravity of all that is happening. And my life is teaching me and has taught me that there's a benevolent, unconditionally loving unfolding that has me, that keeps me, right? And it's only through the walking through of the devastating experiences and then being able to see, oh, there's actually a whole lot of goodness. I got a whole lot of testimonies, okay, that have come from that dismantling or that unraveling of myself or who I thought myself to be. Yes. I guess it's that who am I question. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like getting back to the magic and what's really real, you know. I love that. I feel like that is a beautifully powerful way to close. I just want to let that sit. Yeah, thank you. That is beautiful. I mean, you really beautifully summed up. I mean, I like goosebumpy beauty in what you just said. I'm so grateful. Yes, I'm grateful to you. Mm-hmm. And I want to thank you for being so generous with your time, your insights, your heartfulness, because you clearly are someone who has a very full heart and you live passionately. And I think you're doing a beautiful job of being a healing container and even beyond being a container, a beacon of healing. Mm-hmm. You're walking that walk and It's so important to let our walk be our sermon rather than preaching people to death. So thank you, Ladine. And I want to thank each of you for taking the time to listen. I've included a link to Ladine's website in the show notes. Until next week, continue to be joyfully you, full of joy for you. A little positive.